Many of you know that I am in the middle of a series on the book of Jude. It's a tiny New Testament letter, often forgotten, neglected, and intriguing in many ways, and really gives some amazing truth and revelation from a perspective that maybe some are not all that fond of because he, he is really underlying that God is a righteous, holy God, and he is the God of judgment. Now, Jude is talking about a particular group of people that were not believers, who are under the condemnation of God. We are believers, and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But these were not true believers, but they were coming in and ensconcing themselves in Christian churches in order to preach their particular religious brand and to draw people away from Christ. And they were ungodly people, ungodly people. Now, last time, I began by talking about standing firm on the foundation of God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's love. And I want to emphasize that again. And Jude certainly begins this way because he wants to say, I'm not getting at you. I want you to know that you are secure in Christ. And as a genuine believer, you know what it is to be, to be affirmed by God, to be loved by God, and the promise that God will keep you right up until the blessed end. So God is with you. However, be aware that there are some people who want to steal your confidence away and take you down into bypath meadow so that you will feed on the wrong kind of stuff. I believe that as we make our stand on the goodness of God, we are in a position to move forward, not only stand our ground, but move forward to embrace the challenges that lie ahead and the adventures that God has for us in 2021. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, Jude 24 to 25, this is uh, the end of the letter. And, you know, in the beginning, it begins with assurance, it ends with assurance. Let me read it to you so we know where we're heading and we know what this message is about. It's about affirming and blessing and encouraging as well as warning people in love. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from failing, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Overcoming the adversaries of the gospel. That's my title for today. Contending for the faith. And we need to do this because the message of the gospel is our only hope. And not just for us, but for those in the world. And so this call of Jude, we got to receive it as if it's spoken directly to us because some similar circumstances that Jude was dealing with are present in the 21st century church or in our generation. And this is the call for you to, you to contend for the pure gospel. 
that this will be embedded so deep in your heart, that you will be able to stand for its truth, both inside the church community and outside the church community. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. In the original it reads, beloved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Let's go on, verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm going to go back to love because that's how he begins his letter, having identified himself as the author, addressed the recipients of this message, and also given them a greeting which is charged with spiritual blessing, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Having mentioned that we are beloved by the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, he still starts the main body of his letter with this word. Beloved. So this is an epistle of love. But it is strong love. Not weak, weak love. There's a certain definition of love or attitude towards love in our wider community which is strong on tolerance, weak on truth. Easygoing, accepting everything. Confronting nothing. Lacking discipline and ignoring the high standards of God. God's standards are high, but there are loving standards. And so love, if it's sincere, including pastoral love that Jude clearly has for his audience, love that we have for one another in the body of Christ, love, if it is sincere, doesn't hold back when strong words are necessary to warn, to protect. Every parent knows this. Good friends know this. Part of the definition of a friend is somebody who will tell you what you need to hear, whether you, <laughs> you want to listen or not. They love you enough to tell you the truth. Of course, they do it in relationship and in, in the true spirit of love. So this is an epistle of love. It's coming from a place of love, and it, he is using the words of love all the way through. But some of these phrases, uh, they jar with our modern mindset. And so we have to 
get ourselves to the place when we understand exactly the nature of God's strong, disciplining love and grace. So uh, Jude begins by saying, I had to change my plans. I was going to write to you one particular letter, but actually I have to talk to you about something else. I want to pause there for a moment because we all had to change plans sometimes in a, in a moment's notice. I don't know if you recall over, over Christmas, we were, we were promised how many days, 48 hours or whatever it was, where we could, you know, let up on the COVID restrictions, have a good Christmas celebration and so on. And, and then it was taken away from us at the last moment. Some people were on their way to visit their families. Another part of Britain told to turn back again. Uh, and they had to change their plans. Many, many things that we maybe planned to do last year or planned to do this year, and our plans are on hold. And we, we are facing this, this uh, uh, need to be flexible, adaptable, without being miserable. And one of the things when your plans are changed because of circumstances, you know, you, you feel pretty victimized, and you feel this is, this is awful. But I want to ask you, are you a, a miserable Christian or an intentional Christian? There are a lot of miserable people out there. They're all they poor on us is misery, misery, misery. They, they have a victim mentality and, and, and they have a grievance strategy of everything. These people, as we shall see that he was talking about, these non-believers who crept into the church, they were a bunch of complaining, disgruntled, disconnected, dis, dis, uh, um, uh, agreeable people. Now, intentionality. This is a little key. Jude doesn't say, oh, I wanted to give you another message, but oh my, my, it's all gone wrong. Woe is me. Now I'm going to have to talk about something else. No. He accepts this change and transforms it through his intentionality into something vitally important. Intentionality. He faces the change bravely and boldly with purpose. I read a definition of intentionality in this context, and it went something like this. The ability to make conscious choices and decisions to ensure that you focus on what is important. Now, that kind of intentionality we need because we are called now to face adversity and indeed now and in the coming period of time facing adversaries and we need to overcome these things. Isn't it the, uh, the, the armed forces have this, have this kind of expression when, when you're in a situation, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Yeah. So we have an intentionality to overcome. And we are ready to be flexible. And in seeing what's coming up against us, we can see also a purpose of God behind everything. And we, we really do change what needs to be changed, adapt to the situation so that we can overcome it. So he said, I, I fully intended to, to write a nice, encouraging letter to talk about our common salvation and to bless you with all the things we have in common. But 
something has come up. And he sounds a spiritual alert. He says, there is a danger facing us all that I have to speak about. Something has happened. I can't ignore it. It's threatening to pull people away from God and away from the gospel. And he said, I need you to know this is happening in the churches. That's surprising because we tend to think of the opposition coming from outside. But now the outsiders had come inside the church in a way uh, that was not valid. They were not true believers. And they were drawing people away from Christ and the gospel. So Jude says, this is my new agenda. I'm writing this to you to encourage you to join with me in contending for the faith, in dealing with the adversaries of the gospel and protecting your life as you do it. So uh, just to describe who these people are again, they were those who came in from outside and their purpose was to pervert the grace of God into sensuality and those who deny are only God and Master Jesus Christ. So who were these people? They were, get it, get it very clear, unbelievers and under the condemnation of God. Now, this does not apply to you if you are a believer in Jesus. For there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's relevant for you and for me to see what these people were saying, to see if some of this thinking has begun to affect us as well. And so he's saying, you, please join with me to contend for the faith. Now, I find this amazing. You know that one of my major focuses in my ministry and has been consistently throughout my years of service in KT and other, other places is to involve the whole body of Christ in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And here's these texts are the ones that really I base that approach on. For he says, the faith was once for all, that's the body of apostolic truth, body of apostolic revelation, the basis of the Christian faith. He says, this was once for all delivered to the saints. You can't change it. It's finished. It's a completed revelation. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. You receive it as it is, and you hold it as a very, very precious gift, a precious heritage, which every single one of us is responsible for guarding, keeping, preserving, and following. He didn't write to the Bible teachers. He didn't have an apostolic convention. He didn't call all the leaders of the whatever denominations existed or didn't exist back then. He goes straight to the hearts of the people of God and say, you are God's people and you have received this. This has been delivered to you to take care of, to draw from, to be blessed by, to preserve and to be fruitful. We have received this revelation of the gospel. 
and we are responsible to take care of it, both within the church and to stand for its truth outside of the church. So the, 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 these people, you know, they, they, it's quite extraordinary when you read it. It says they crept in unnoticed. This is a sinister infiltration by non-believers. This isn't believers struggling, falling into some difficulty, maybe finding life difficult and maybe questioning or doubting something here or something there, falling into some kind of bondage, spiritual bondage, and, but struggling through with it and calling on others to help them escape it. This was a cynical, deliberate strategy of a group of people who were not Christians, did not have the Holy Spirit, relied on everything but the Bible and the gospel and the authority of Scripture or the apostolic authority. And they were pushing a particular kind of message. It says they slipped in and lodged themselves inside the church. It's, it's rather like how a parasite operates in a human body. A parasite is some, something, some organism, which creeps into the human body without you noticing it, lodges itself there and starts to feed off you to the point where you lose your health or have more severe problems. Ungodly people. And we know they're ungodly. They denied Jesus. They perverted the grace of God into sensuality. This is an uncontrolled, boastful permissiveness. It's not people slipping up here or there or struggling with an issue in their life. It is people who say, this is a matter of doctrine. We approve what you call sin. We call our right to do so. And doing so is not just not wrong. It is right. Calling good evil and evil good. It's all about how they twisted the message of grace. Now, the message of grace can be perverted, compromised, by two extreme things. Number one, it can be legalism. You know what legalism is? It's saying, look, I am saved by grace through faith plus works. I'm saved by grace through faith plus obedience, plus holiness, plus something else. Now, all those things, obedience and holiness, are, are vitally important. But we don't live a holy life in order to be saved. We live a holy life because we have been saved. And that subtle difference makes a world of difference when we fall into the trap of legalism, become judgmental and try to add works to faith in order to please God, in order to be saved. But at the other end, there's another extreme. It's called license, where they twist the grace of God into license, saying, well, oh, I'm saved. It's okay. Once saved, always saved. That means I can do as I like, right or wrong. There were some that Paul speaks of who were saying things like, let me continue in sin so that I can receive more grace. If my sin cannot uh, um, sap the strength or deplete the resources of God's grace, 
then it means the more I sin, the more grace I have. And who wants more grace? Let's have more grace. So go and sin some more. And in fact, the more you sin, the more spiritual you are because you've got more grace. This sounds utterly bizarre and totally unthinkable. And Paul says so that it's unthinkable. But we can see examples in Paul's day and in Jude's day and at various times of church history where there were people who actually taught that. This is not just some people saying, well, you know, I've got some stuff in my life. I'll sort it out one day, but it doesn't matter. Jesus loves me anyway. That's how it begins. But it can end in disaster. And so he says this uncontrolled, boastful permissiveness. This was the obstacle. This was something they had to overcome. This was the teaching of the intruders. A few more things about them. Um, as we go through in future messages, I'll, I'll expand on this a little bit because there's so much here that we can learn from. He says, Jude verse 8, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. What does this mean? This means that the source of their doctrine, their belief, their permissive beliefs and practices. The source of this was the inspiration they got from spurious revelations that were not from the Holy Spirit. Now, it could have been they just dreamed it up out of the imagination of their own hearts. But the chances are that this was not just human twisted thinking, but this was demonic manifestations deliberate false revelations to draw people away from Christ, spurious dreams and manifestations. Now listen, friends, God speaks through such things. And God can speak to you in a dream and God can speak to you in a prophecy. God can speak to you through some revelation. However, we don't just accept anything. We ask the alpha test and the omega test. The alpha is what is the source? The Omega, what is the purpose? And anything that does not line up with the Word of God and the revelation of the gospel, you throw it out. You don't let it come near you. I don't care how many miracles somebody has produced or performed to say, look, I'm a great prophet and therefore what I'm saying is the truth. I don't care what visions they've had. They could have gone to hell and back again to heaven and earth or to Mars and back for all I care in their dreams and visions. No matter how uh, uh, spectacular this appeals, appears or how appealing it is, if it does not line up with Scripture, the basic Bible teaching of the gospel, apostolic revelation, the teaching of the New Testament, don't entertain it. Put it out. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Be very careful. Because this kind of stuff is entering the church through YouTube. Now, you're on YouTube now, I know. I know that. But, you know, what can happen is that people who can self-publish so easily, and there are people who, I am sure, some of them don't even know Jesus, but are motivated by the demonic as well as false doctrine. You say, well, am I being alarmist? I'm sounding an alarm. I'm sounding an alarm. Be very discerning. And that's not to be full of fear or suspicion, but be so embedded 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the scriptures, in the word of God, in a life of holiness and walking forward together in Christ so that instantly we can say, hmm, there's something here. I, I don't think it's quite right. Let's check it out. Or they were defiling by the spirit with which they spoke. They were defiling because they were drawing people into all kinds of sins which are not permitted. No sin is permissible for us as believers. If we fall into sin, we ask God to help us. We repent. We help one another. We take care of one another, but we don't stay there. Amen and amen. Another characteristic was that they rejected authority. I want you to listen very carefully here because authority of the leaders in the church is God-given, but it is subject to the Scripture. All right? Now, these people were not subject either to the Scriptures or to the Holy Spirit, and they certainly weren't subject to the leaders of the church. They set themselves up as the authority. They were beyond contradiction. They rejected all forms of correction. It's so sad. So I look back over the last 30 or more years, I can name not hundreds of cases, but there have been times when people have been so clearly unbiblical, so clearly out of line, out of order, falling into error, falling into the bondage of the enemy. And yet every single one of those who said, you can't correct me, you can't tell me what to do, because I have a superior revelation to you. I know more than you do. I know more than the Bible. I know more than God. And I know that I am right. They saw themselves, these people, as possessing superior religious truth. And anybody that comes to you with this arrogant, superior attitude, believing that they are right and will not in any way respond to even clear, logical, loving, spirit-directed correction, that's not the mark of a Christian. The mark of a Christian is somebody who is subject to the Word of God, subject to the Holy Spirit, and is ready to listen as others speak into their lives, godly men and women. Not only were they rebellious, but they were divisive. And they were causing harm in the church. You know, it's a bit like you have a beautiful fruit tree in the summer and it's got fruit. And then what happens? You know, the birds come and they perch in the branches. They're not part of the tree. They've not lifted one feather to produce that fruit. But they perch in the branches and peck, peck, peck the fruit. And we want to guard ourselves against the birds of the air who come in, nest, make, make their nests in the branches of the church of Jesus Christ and begin to gobble up the fruit to destroy the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, I don't want you to be paranoid looking around to see who, who this is. It's very clear when people don't know God and they're not subject to the Holy Spirit or the Word of God, we don't listen to them. Amen and amen. So, of course, these people are under condemnation, but that does not apply to you. Uh, we will see, because like from next time onwards, we're going to need to be looking at the whole teaching on God's judgment. And how can God's judgment 
be a blessing to us? How can we understand that God is holy and loving and he is righteous and pure and just? Well, a lot of that is worked out in what we call the justice of God, the judgment of God. These were under condemnation. They were never born again. They were never saved. But we, who may struggle with some of the very things that I've been talking about, we may be struggling, but when we're under the grace of God and there is no condemnation over our lives, we are free to shake off the spirit of bondage. We are free not to walk in legalism or license, but to walk in the liberty of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus Christ has set us free. Amen and amen. So, how do we, practically speaking, contend for the faith? You know, what's important is to know the gospel. And by that, of course, we must know the content The person of Christ is at the heart of the gospel. But the teaching about who Jesus is, the teaching about how we should live, how do we get saved, who is Jesus, why did he come into the world, and not just simply accept it as kind of like this is the teaching of catechism, but actually we understand it and we're able to refute those that come against it. We're able to say, no, 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 Jesus had to die. Yes, he is the son of God, but he had to die to be the substitute sacrifice for our sins. Yes, the scripture is authoritative. God caused holy men to speak and record words without error, authoritative words. So the scripture is God's word to us. Heaven exists Hell exists. It's not as if God is just standing up there like some grumpy old man saying, unless you do what I say, I'm going to throw you into hell. That is nowhere taught in the Bible. God is not like that. God is light. God is love. God is truth. And God is life. And if you separate yourself from God who is life, don't blame him when you experience death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. God is not willing that any should perish, but he wants everybody to come to a knowledge of the truth, but he will not force you. You have to come and bow the knee. And it is not simply because you've got to submit to somebody who is bigger and stronger than you. You actually recognize God for who he is. He is ultimate reality. There is none higher. He is the very definition of what is good, of what is right, of what is loving, Ask God. Don't just go to the men and women of this world who think they know better than you do. Amen and amen. So, Jude verses 20 and 23. This is, this is really the doxology and I'll come back to it later on. But it's a good text to read right now. Jude says, but you beloved, he's talked about the rest of them. He's talking about the ungodly sinners who are going to have a, a dreadful condemnation and who are right now. And all those examples from the Bible and we're just about losing it all together. And he says, no, 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 I haven't lost you. I want you to stay with me because he says, you now are the beloved of God. You now build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. That's not like you just self-shepherding. And that's good to do that. Take care of yourself spiritually. But we 
do it together. That's what our cell groups are all about. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. And then reach out to others. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What a wonderful Christian community that is. I would be part of a Christian community like that any day where people wouldn't just judge and condemn and exclude and put down one another. But to say, listen, you're, you're slipping in this area. Let me help you. Or those who've reached rock bottom. And maybe that's you today. And maybe you've dreaded this message because it sounds like I am saying you're under condemnation and you are a horrible person. No way. You are beloved by God. You are kept by Jesus Christ. And God wants to lift you up out of your struggles and out of the issues and things that pull you down, help you overcome the sin and bondages in your life. That's why you must guard against those who would draw you away. Be clear about the gospel. Know the gospel. Guard it. Root it. Lodge it in your life. Go deeper with Jesus. A lot of this about the faith is talking about the apostolic doctrine, which are like the parameters, the revelation concerning who Jesus is. But it's not enough just to know about him. You need to get to know him and grow in this grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Know the scriptures because the scriptures are the test of all faith and conduct and revelation and the standard for behavior and the, the, the source of inspiration. Open up fully to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me anew, Lord. Touch my life. Empower me. I need to be lifted up above the weaknesses of my own flesh and in it all and through it all. Know how to distinguish truth from error. Now, there are people who won't listen to you. There are, there are people who are so fixed in their way of thinking and so biased in their understanding, so invested in their false teaching and understanding that you can show them clearly where they are wrong and here are the facts but they say well my idea my theory my view is true and if that's against the facts then so much the worse for the facts be careful of people like that who will not accept instruction be careful. But you develop discernment. Learn how to reject every lie. Learn how to pursue the truth. Pursue Christ. Know how to pursue righteousness in your life. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Why am I saying all of this today? Because it's my conviction 
that the gospel does not call us to make a few minor changes on the periphery of our life. As if all we had to do was add God and a few ideas to our existing life. To change a little bit here, a little bit there, but basically go on the same. No, the gospel calls for radical change. Because we are brought through the gospel into a totally different domain. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this different domain, the domain of God's rule, the domain of God's eternal kingdom, means that we embrace a totally new worldview that is not dictated to by social trends, by ideas and philosophies and ideologies of men and women. It comes from above, recorded in Scripture, experienced in Christ, and empowered by His Holy Spirit who fills us every day of our lives. And this totally new worldview which we embrace changes everything. It's a radical change about how we see ourselves, how we see others, what we understand about the reality in this world, how we live, how we behave in our relationship with him and our relationship with others. The Christian life is a total radical transformation. It is not an add-on to a natural life or a natural perspective. That's what the Bible means when it says, be born again. So we are born into the kingdom of God. We don't reason and with logic to get in there. We don't find ourselves in there because of our emotions. We are born into the kingdom of God when we believe in Jesus Christ and we lay hold of Jesus and we will not let anyone diminish the force and power and truthfulness of the faith that we have received in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.